the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We see in today's gospel uh, more of what we saw last week, Jesus uh, bringing the kingdom of God to come on earth as in heaven, uh, him setting things right, doing his work of new creation, healing the sick, uh, casting out demons, showing his authority over them, saying, don't tell people who I am yet. We've got to get this Messiah thing off the ground. But I'm going to focus in on one thing we see uh, in this text this morning. Jesus praying. Jesus prayed. So how much more ought we to pray? Again, Mark 135, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Jesus was and is always praying. For prayer, and this is crucial, prayer is being with God. And for the pedantic among us, yes, I understand God is uh, omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. So it's sort of impossible to not ever be with God. But it's possible uh, to technically be with someone and not really be with him or her. Perhaps you've experienced this. I think most of us have. uh, When you go out to dinner... And you see a family, and everyone is on their phones. I mean, they're together. They're having dinner together. But are they really? And that's not to throw any shade at our young parents. I know sometimes you just got to survive. You got to put the phone in front of the kids so they don't scream and everybody leaves the restaurant. But not a great practice. You're, not, you're there, but you're not present. Jesus, not about you know whether whether Jesus needed to pray. I mean, Jesus, from a sense, could not pray because prayer is is being with God. I mean, Jesus was ever with the Father, communing with Him. I mean, even in His earthly life, He possessed the beatific vision, the vision of God. Moreover, Jesus as God as the second person of the Holy Trinity, is ever with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, that doesn't mean there's three gods, but one God eternally existent in three persons. There's this relationship and community within the triune God, which as an aside, that's one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith and and great honors and something that just blows my mind is that in Jesus Christ, on account of the incarnation that we are united with him, we are brought into the very midst of God's own being, that, that relationship and that community. So Jesus is ever praying, but what we see here in Mark 1 and many other places in the Gospels, Jesus... This is weird to say. Jesus setting aside time to do that which he was always doing by nature. 
In other words, Jesus had fixed times of prayer. Origin of Alexandria writes this on the prayer life of Jesus. Jesus prayed and did not pray in vain, since he received what he asked for in prayer when he might have done so without prayer. If so, who among us would neglect to pray? Mark says that in the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. And Luke says he was praying in a certain place, and when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And elsewhere, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And John records his prayer saying, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. The same evangelist, that is John, writes that the Lord said that he knew you always hear me. All this shows that the one who prays always is always heard. We see in Jesus, because I know sometimes <laughs> sort of the impulse is, well, Jesus did it. It's not super encouraging because Jesus is Jesus and we're us. <laughs> but we see in Jesus, yes, the most clearest, definitive revelation of the Father. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. He's the best revelation of the Father that we have because Jesus, as God, most clearly reveals who God is. But we also, because Jesus is human, he's the God-man, fully divine and fully human, because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, we see in Jesus the, most clear, the, the clearest revelation of the human being, what we were made to be and what we ought to be and what we are empowered to be by the Holy Spirit whom lives within us. So again, if Jesus prayed, how much more ought we to pray? And what is prayer? Again, prayer is being with God. It's being present to him. It's, it's the lifting up of our hearts. You guys have heard that before. To God and communing with them. And this lifting up of our hearts or minds, all that we are, it has different aspects. So to put it in the form of a question, of what does prayer consist? Or what should it consist of? What, what are the, the parts of prayer, if you will? Well, there's adoration, there's confession, there's thanksgiving, and there's supplication. Uh, the acronym ACTS. A-C-T-S is a good way of remembering the, the aspects of prayer, of what prayer consists, what, what it is we're doing, the active part of it. And I would think of them as aspects as opposed to uh, sharp divisions. Like, I'm doing adoration now, I'm doing confession now, I'm doing thanksgiving, I'm doing... So because they're intertwined. They all touch each other. They're part of our, our prayer life, this lifting up our hearts to God. We'll begin with adoration. Adoration is at the heart of prayer. It's loving God for who he is. And it's coming into his presence and being cognizant of who he is. That we're, we're coming before not 
appear or our, our homeboy, you know, the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts, if you guys remember those from uh, the 90s and early 2000s. No, we're coming and we're recognizing that he is God and that we are not, that he is the creator and that we are the creatures. And, and, and we have to, there, there's a balance here because some of us struggle with prayer because we think of God as distant, you know, these really sort of simplistic ways of thinking about heaven and earth. That God's way up there, and I'm way down here. He's not really concerned with me. But it's, it is recognizing that the God, that God, that Emmanuel, that is God with us, the God to whom we draw near, the God that we are with is above and beyond us. And when we do that, when we, we, when we recognize God as God and we adore him because he's the creator and we are the creature, and we behold him in the beauty of holiness, this naturally leads to confession or to more, more broadly penitence, to humility. Because when we behold the Lord, when we recognize God as such, we, we see all the clearer ourselves. That's how it works in life. When we see something in its ideal, we, we see ourselves in light of that ideal. I have this feeling all the time, you know, when, you know, I listen, I listen to uh, and, and read Jordan Peterson. When I, when I listen to his pod, when I listen to him think out loud, I'm like, I should never think again. I see the shortcomings of my own thing. When I read... Uh, Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings, I'm like, this master, I'm like, I should never write anything. I, I see the, the shortcomings. It's like pretty close to an ideal here. But with, with God, it's, it's on such a, a whole, um, a whole nother level. There we go. It's not great English, but it gets the point across. When we behold God in the beauty of holiness, we, we recognize our own lack thereof that we are only holy insofar as we partake in his nature. We see this in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. He gets this vision of the heavenly throne room. He sees the angels circling the throne of God, that unceasing song, holy, holy, holy. And what is his response? Man, that's cool. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We're talking really about humility. And humility and penitence are concomitant with the finite, that's us, encountering the infinite, with sinful and broken human beings encountering the sin, sinless and perfect triune, triune God. And this leads us to thanksgiving, which is a form of praise. It, it grows naturally from both adoration and, con, and confession or penitence because when we see God for who he is and we see ourselves for, for who we are, there's this thanksgiving that in spite of who we are, God, through his son, Jesus Christ, 
And through his precious blood on the cross, which wipes away all our sins, he brings us near unto himself. And so we're thankful. And the thing that we're most thankful for, yes, we're thankful for the, the things that happen in our life, of course, the good things that we have, but we're thankful above all, as the prayer book says. This is the great Thanksgiving. This is one of the few things in the 79 prayer book uh, that, that's still Cranmer stuff, Thomas Cranmer, that put together the first book of common prayer. It says, above all, for the inestimable, inestimable love, of the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. Then the prayer continues. I love this. And we beseech thee, give us that due sense of all thy mercies that our hearts may be unfeignedly thankful. James writes that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And what can happen, you know, when we take God for granted, when we don't cultiv cultivate gratitude in our lives, when we, when we, and it can be so easy uh, in a society that is prosperous, uh, really beyond anything the world's ever seen, even though I know we struggle and, and things can be tough, but when we take the basics of life for granted, Put it this way, when, when we've never had to pray, give us this day our daily bread and mean actual bread, that's a blessing. I remember going, um, Casey and Amy and I were in Africa. This is years ago before she met Jonathan. We hadn't cleared him yet for uh, <laughs> relationship. It was so humbling to meet these African Christians whose faith were so strong, and they were so thankful. They're thanking God for their goat. I remember they're praying the Lord's Prayer, and I'm like, man, they're really praying it. There's this gratitude. We have to, but when we take God for granted and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, those inestimable benefits that the prayer book talks about, when we take for granted the basics uh, what can happen is we can actually develop a, a sense of entitlement that we should have all this stuff. And when we don't, then that can lead to misery. Conversely, when we develop this attitude of, of thanksgiving, of gratitude, for giving thanks to God in all things, we are then on the path to joy. Thank you, Lisa. I'm going to shut the door. Thank you so much. Rocking out in there. Next there is supplication or petition, which that's the aspect of prayer we're probably most familiar with, right? Don't get offended. I'm just kind of burying my own soul here. Don't get offended, you know. Um, but, like, I'm really good at, like, asking God for stuff I want. Like, I, I, got, I got this one. And, of course, prayer includes asking for things. It's actually a very important aspect of prayer. But what is it that we're asking for? What's our heart when we're asking? But there's obviously, as we've seen, there's more to prayer than supplication, especially if our requests to God, they only concern our earthly needs and wants. It's, it's just tunnel vision. 
Now, this is rhetorical. Don't answer out loud. We don't want to get anyone in trouble. But do you have or have you ever had a friend or a family member that only contacts you when he or she needs something? If they're calling you, it's because they want something from you. Yeah, I mean, it's not great. So let's not do that to God. I mean, he, he's not, we're not in Aladdin. He's not our genie, and instead of three wishes, he's given us unlimited wishes. Now, of course, again, bring all your concerns to God. Bring the whole of who you are, the whole of what's on your heart and your mind. God invites us to do so. He says, let your request be made known unto God. But we have to do that. We make our petitions in concert with adoration and confession and thanksgiving. And we are to include in our petitions not just our problems, but of course also that of others. That's intercession. Intercession is being with the Lord with others on your heart. Being with the Lord with others on your heart. Also, we, we are to, as we grow in faith, as we grow in prayer, we, we are to heighten our petitions. Th that is, we are to, to get beyond, God, please help Tom Brady win another Super Bowl tonight. Now, if you pray that, God's probably going to reply, I I've answered enough of Tom Brady's pray prayers. I've done quite a lot for the guy. Move on to someone else. Because, I mean, even if Tom loses tonight, I think he's still winning, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I got to get through the rest of this sermon. I got to move on from this joke. All right. We want to elevate our, our petitions, like set our minds on things above, that, that we're asking God, not just for, you know, make my job better, you know, sort of earthly temporal things and start asking God for, for spiritual growth and strength, to ask him for virtue, to ask him for the fruit of the spirit. Really, our petitions should be centered in asking God for more of himself. Ascetical theologian F.P. Hardin put it this way. He said, our greatest need, indeed, Listen to how bold this is. Indeed, our only ultimate need is God himself. Consequently, the fundamental petition is, O oh God, give me thyself. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. These are the aspects of prayer. As to the different kinds of prayer or ways to pray, there, there's tons of variety. There's liturgical prayer. We see this in the offices and the Eucharist. And I find liturgical prayer, there's pitfalls and perils with every form of prayer. I find it to be a great gift. I mean, you don't have to spend a lot of time thinking up what to say, which can actually, it can be a, a distraction. Uh, when I was growing up, especially when I was praying in groups, you know, you're, you're in youth group, you know, summer camp and all these pastors here. 
other people are praying, and I'm just thinking, all right, this person's already said this, and I got I to gotta think up really uh, something really good to pray. I want people to know I'm a good prayer. I mean, that, you laugh, but that kind of stuff, we're human beings, that kind, that kind of pride and, you know, jockeying for position, even in spiritual things, that happens. So liturgical prayer sort of takes that away. Uh, also, you don't have to worry about the balance of content. I mean, just pay attention during the liturgy or read through the office. You have adoration, confession, thanksgiving, petitions, all that. There's even room for extemporaneous uh, prayer. Uh, it, it's biblical. I mean, what, a lot of what we're doing in liturgical prayer is we're simply praying the scriptures, uh, which itself is another kind of prayer. Uh, the Psalter, I mean, the Psalms are the original prayer book. It was the prayer book of, of Israel. And one of the, the things about the Psalms is they're honest and they're raw, and they, they, they touch on all areas of life, the, the highs and the lows, the good and the bad. And again, no matter how astute you are, and this is a very astute uh, congregation, erudite congregation, uh, no matter how eloquent you are in speech, and I say that seriously, I'm, I'm not mocking you, I, I really mean that, I, I don't think we can outdo, like, the inspired word of God. Like, those of you who are in All Souls 101 this morning, I mean, what did Athanasius say? The Psalms are the utterances of the Holy Spirit. So praying scripture. There's also meditative prayer where you can, you can reflect on a, a passage of scripture on the, the person of Jesus. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with the Jesus prayer in the Orthodox Church. It's, it's, it's like a centering prayer. You're just focused on the person of Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You're, just, you're, you're making yourself present to the Lord. There's, of course, contemplative prayer with an emphasis on silence. Just being still and knowing that the Lord is God. And every soul is different. We're all different. And you have to find um, a way that you can pray. You can find, you have to find, I mean, there, you're going to experience all types of prayers, but you have to find it as your bread and butter, if you will, a way that enables you to, li to truly lift up your heart to God, to be present to him. Some of you, you know, of course, just being Anglican, you're going to get liturgical prayer. We, we have the offices, but one of the pitfalls of the offices is, is that I think there's way more uh, positive than negative is, and I do this, as your priest, I'm really busy. Do now we got a dog, so what in the world were we doing with doing that? And kids, and it's like, okay, I just got to get through this. And I'm, I'm saying words, and, and God's grace can make up the difference. Even when our prayer is imperfect, God can do uh, good and perfect things through them. So you don't have to be, you know, have a 4.0 in praying in order for God to, to be at work in your life. But sometimes I'm not really present. I'm like, no, I need to slow down and, and marinate in this, in the words of Scripture which I'm praying. You know, we see this variety in the life of Jesus. Again, uh, of course, he, he was always praying because he was ever lifting up his heart uh, to the Father uh, with whom he was in, 
eternal relationship. He was ever being led by the Spirit. But Jesus engaged in liturgical prayer. We see Jesus going to the temple, going to the synagogue. Here in Mark 1, we see Jesus getting up early and going out alone in, in solitude. He had this fixed time. In, in John 17, we see Jesus making petitions. He, he intercedes for the disciples. John 17, the high priestly prayer. Praise not just for them, but Jesus prayed for all of us. He prayed for all those who would believe. And just before uh, he is uh, arrested, he, he agonizes in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he pours out his heart before the Father. Here Jesus simply bringing his heart to the Father. And on the cross, he prays, probably chance, 95% chance, if I had to put a percentage on it. Chance, Psalm 22, he prays the Psalter. And the church has developed all these. There's a variety of prayer in Jesus' life, and the church has developed all these different methods of, uh, for prayer. Um, so, so where do we start? Where does one start? I would suggest with the prayer that Jesus gave us. I mean, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray, well, we can ask Jesus with the disciples, Lord, teach us how to pray. He gives them the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is amazing because it's both a model for prayer. It has, it has all the aspects of prayer in it. It's a guide for all of our other prayer, but it is, is itself a prayer that we should pray. I mean, just, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but even just the first, Our Father, there's adoration there. There's also intercession. It's not my Father. It's our Father. You're praying with and behalf, on behalf of the rest of the church. That God would provide needs. That God's kingdom would come on earth as in heaven. There's this model for prayer. There's, of course, penitence. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. All the aspects of prayer are, um, it's a work of genius, really. Jesus is pretty smart, like omniscient, so knows everything. This model and this particular prayer, and uh, from the earliest days of the church, the, um, the Lord's Prayer would be prayed three times a day. It, it's a great way. If you just start to begin and end your day, in the middle of your day, you just, just slow down to, to be with the Lord and, and, and touch uh, all the bases of, of human life um, and to just not um, give up it can be you know if you've struggled with prayer then it might be that you're trying to make a particular kind of prayer your bread and butter that you just don't have the disposition for it <laughs> and so you, you get discouraged for me that can be just extemporaneous prayer some people can just, da -da -da -da. but sometimes when I, I just pray and I'm just kind of just praying to the Lord, does anyone ever have this happen where like, I might be walking and praying and then like 30 seconds later, I'm just thinking about my day. I'm like, oh, I stopped praying. <laughs> I stopped praying. I can lose focus. And, and that can be discouraging, right? Just like, oh, I'm a terrible, I'm a priest. I can't even pray without for five minutes without getting distracted. And just to keep going. And that's, what, that's why I'll go. Right, the Jesus prayer, that, that's easy. 
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Lord's Prayer offices keep me uh, on track. So praying in various and sundry ways. So back, bring it all together. We were made to be united with God, and that union is made possible through Jesus Christ. And we're empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, to, to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this union with God by virtue of um, Jesus Christ and his person and his work. And that union is actualized. That means it, it comes to bear in practice. We experience that union in large part through prayer. So let us, brothers and sisters, uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, follow the example of our Lord. If Jesus, who really didn't need to pray, prayed, then how much more ought we to pray? And let us understand what prayer is. That it's to be with God, to lift up our hearts with him, and to commune with him. To, to really consciously live your life before him, because you are. And let us pray and ask God to give us the strength to, to imitate Jesus and to commune with him, the one who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.